Josh is still the hardest person for me to practice with in, in wow. New South Wales, if not Australia, just because he knows how I fight so well. And no. Well, I've seen his ears, mate. I'm staying well away from him. <laughs> well, that, was, that was my doing. I was going to say, who do you reckon gave him to me? Yeah. <laughs> we get to the point. Hi, legends. Dallas from To The Point Podcast here. Today, we sat down with Nathan and Josh Katz, the Katz brothers. We spoke about following in their mother's footsteps and competing in the Olympics together, rigorous dieting, their unique family dynamic, and the mental toughness it takes to be an Olympic athlete. We really enjoyed this one, and I hope you do too. Let's get to the point. To the point. Okay, so a bit of a special one. Um, my two surrogate sons. <laughs> no. Uh, very, very uh, honoured and very privileged um, to now call you guys friends, but also have you a part of the TEM management team. Um, and have you up here at Newcastle for uh, a seminar at Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu. Um, Nathan and Josh Katz, the Katz brothers, welcome. Thanks, Dallas. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks, mate. So we're up here in uh, the beautiful Steel City where uh, it's, it's pretty cool, like considering the, the time that we've had with COVID, you know, to be in mid-October and to be able to, to run a seminar and um, you know, do something pretty cool and fun, but actually get some people together and and do some martial arts, especially uh, you know you guys are both black belts and, and Olympians in in the uh, in the art of judo. So it's pretty cool to to get some people around it and and start teaching the art that you guys are so proficient in. Yeah, I mean we love it. Um, obviously, we've grown up doing judo our entire life. So to get to spread judo with the BJJ and the jujitsu, and I guess just cross over that world a little bit and to bridge a gap between the sports. Um, yeah, we're really we're really excited to come down. Do you guys find that like MMA has helped connect a lot of the arts together since 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 MMA and the UFC has become so big? Do you feel like it's become quite big because obviously you guys have a, a jiu-jitsu school at you know under under your um your home club, um, or do you find that the judo grappling kind of world is is quite tight knit anyway? Um, I think the the rise of UFC and MMA um, has definitely given a lot more exposure to the individual martial arts. People see, I guess, Ronda Rousey was a huge uh, advocate for for judo. She had the the biggest profile probably of anyone at that time. Um, so it gave judo a bigger platform, I guess, for people to see itself. But uh, in terms of the the judo world tour itself, is is pretty isolated from uh, from the rest of the world. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and and that's a I guess a, a thing that I was going to lead into. Uh, about Ronda Rousey is the fact that um, quite similar for you guys because you know your mum competed at the Olympics. Um, obviously, your dad's been a national coach and been around the national scene for Australia for a long period of time. And obviously, you know you guys have followed in their footsteps. Um, that's pretty amazing. So I guess from you know I guess you know from the generation from your mum and your dad to see what you know Ronda did for judoka to put judo on on the map as big as it was on that stage for for the UFC is pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. I mean, what Ronda did, she pretty much transcended. She was the first one really to go mainstream, like as a probably any martial arts athlete to then obviously be a UFC champion, but then she's in movies, Fast and Furious, and she's a global star. And then obviously now you've got your McGregors and people like that, but um, she was huge. So she's, I think, a lot more since have judo guys have transitioned over and she sort of forged a path. There were other judo people before her, but she was so big that, our national coach Daniel Kelly fought in the UFC, and there's definitely a path for judo athletes or judoka to transition to MMA. Have you guys ever got to meet Ronda? No, no never, no, never, never. 
devastating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's it's super cool. Look, obviously, I came late to the party, so um, I, I did wrestling and a bit of judo at, at Eagle MMA uh, 2016 for about six months, um, and then you know had a break from from doing CrossFit, and then you know went, oh, I miss CrossFit too much, so I went back and, and did some CrossFit. Um, but the you know seeing. Um, the different arts kind of brought together in an MMA gym, and then you know going specifically to to guerrilla jiu-jitsu and, and doing jiu-jitsu specifically, you know, with the gi and without the gi. Um, the godfather of guerrilla jiu-jitsu, Dave Camarillo, is a fourth degree you know black belt in in judo, and then obviously the same in uh, in jiu-jitsu. So you know a lot of our stuff for guerrilla is you know there's a lot of you know judo base with it with our with our grapple flow, which is super super cool. But it's so technical. Like I can't even pronounce half of the throws. <laughs> <laughs> that's half of the that's half of the learning when you're yeah. in uh, under ten. You're just learning the names. Yeah. Of the yeah. <laughs> Pretending you can speak Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so obviously uh, you both you both you guys um, qualified and competed in in Rio, and obviously the Olympic stuff. I guess from a mainstream perspective is is what people would be most impressed pressed about. And you know when we were doing the um, the flight for this obviously there was a couple of different things that we, we we threw around for the marketing for this but i guess the you know the oceana champions did i say that probably yeah oceana Club. oceana yeah 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 same, same. yeah sorry <laughs> sorry um you know oceana champions obviously competing uh over in asia and, and competing over in um in europe because i guess you know as big as jiu-jitsu and and you know grappling and mma is getting in australia in comparison to how successful you guys have been, like judo in Australia compared to these countries that you go and face against, is it's it's quite small and young here, right? Yeah, yeah. go on, mate. Go on. I guess uh, the Olympics is really the only event where people can relate to it a little bit more because all the other events we compete in throughout the year, it's called like a European Cup or a World Cup or a Grand Prix, and in every different sport, that means something completely different. So people sort of don't have a perspective of the level of the competition you're competing at. Whereas at the Olympics, they see, they compare you to swimming and athletics and everything else, and they just know that the best in the world are at the Olympics. So yeah. it puts into perspective a little more, I think, for people that aren't in the judo sphere itself or in any sort of sporting environment. Just some of these countries, like judo is so ingrained in their culture. Like the Mongolians are a good example. Like they grow up, and I, I don't think it's called judo what they do, but they're like in pretty much what looks like a diaper, like a sort of sumo wrestling diaper <laughs> sort of thing. And they just pretty much mud and dirt wrestling since they're kids. And, yeah. it, and it translates to their judo style because it's so different to like the Japanese style being very technical and fluid movers. And they just fight like, and these guys don't look, they're not jacked like your CrossFit boys and they're not, they're not even in tremendous nick, but they get a hold of you and they're just so strong because they've been grabbing onto other people and fighting for their life since they were kids. See, the only thing I uh, I attest Mongolia to is Mongolian lamb. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, it's good beef. Yeah. <laughs> <Of> lamb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's um, it, it's crazy. And obviously, um, you know, I've got a, a bit of a, a glimpse to it you know, or a snapshot with it from obviously from Dave and Matt Darcy um, from Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and then obviously, you know, coming on board and, um, you know, spending a lot of time with you guys, it's 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 quite eye opening to see um, to see how big it is across like Europe and across Asia, uh, and then obviously the you know the the caliber that you guys are because you got to remember right like you, if you're fighting in Europe right you've got a lot of good bodies to compete against train with etc. For majority of the time, you guys basically just have yourselves right. 
I mean, we do. It is difficult because that's no discredit to anyone else. Hundred percent. I mean, we we have a, a really good training environment at home, but once, unfortunately, in Australia, like once you reach a point where you are competing and being competitive at the top ward level, then you need to start just spending longer periods overseas because when we're at home, we we definitely have some great training partners and we maximize the time that we can spend like some more one-on-one time with our coach and with strength and conditioning and stuff like that. But to get just the volume of training of sparring rounds with with the highest level competition, the only way you can get that is just by fighting other people. And unfortunately in Australia, like you just don't have that to be able to do it 12 months of the year. Because um, the one thing that I've really picked up on, you know, in the last you know three months or so that you know we've been together is um, one, obviously, you know, Nathan's you know bigger than you. Fights in a bigger weight class is a bigger guy than you, but the the difference in your styles is quite different as well. You know, Nathan, you have a, a very you know strong aggressive throwing approach or strong aggression approach, where Josh, you're you're a lot more technical. Does that help it, your games? with each other like fighting someone who's more aggressive for you josh if you go up some someone that's more aggressive at your weight class do you feel a lot more comfortable because you have to deal with this savage every day yeah i mean 100 percent. i think part of my style ended up developing from being the younger smaller brother yeah um and just fighting someone that was bigger and stronger every day because then you do have to adjust if i fight the exact same way as nathan and i do that against him like i'm gonna get smashed every yeah day. so yeah eventually after a few times of getting smashed you're gonna be like i might change this up a little bit and, and then i different. and then i guess i'll flip it to you nath like obviously someone who's a bit more agile smaller quicker more technical does that help you stay on point for for the the technical guys that you come up against 100 percent. so josh he might not be as physical because he's smaller and uh and little a little i guess but he, he he does a few things really really well just in the way he moves and he's so efficient with the way he moves um so i mean he's the he might be the weight below me and i train with plenty of people i fight in 66 kilos and i'll train in, in sydney and australia with plenty of people 73 81 90 bigger boys and josh is still up there if not the hardest person for me to practice with in in wow. new south wales if not australia just because he knows how i fight so well and He's just your little brother. He knows when you're thinking something, he knows what you're thinking. So he's got that tactical advantage. He's just always there. And and, uh, it's like a little brother, isn't it? It's the little fly on your leg. (laughs) Well, I've seen his ears, mate. I'm staying well away from him. (laughs) That was was my doing. I was going to say, who do you reckon gave him to me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess, um, you know, the, the crazy thing, you know, we just said, you know, how cool and special it is for you guys to be actually coming up and and doing a seminar at my home gym which is super cool but obviously the olympics were supposed to be this year um the whole world stopped you know not just the olympics the whole world stops well well, the ufc still kept going i don't know how that happened but um you know obviously it's been postponed to 2021 um what's it like you know compared to when you guys got ready for rio in in 2016 versus now like not being able to travel, have the different bodies, have the amount of competition, getting yourselves ready. Like what's the kind of pros and cons between it's good because you kind of, you know, if you had a couple of niggling injuries like you did, Nathan, you give yourself time to heal, but also versus not being able to train with different bodies against the top guys around the world. What's what's the feeling like for you guys knowing that you're going to have this potentially an Olympics next year, but you haven't had what you had leading up to Rio. Yeah, I mean, on a preparation point, I can't even compare the difference. I mean, for Josh, it's light and day because he was in school six months or nine months before the last Olympics. So he had a little suit and he had a little blazer and tie on every day. Um, 
and I was I would spend a lot of time. I was pretty much based in Europe uh, leading up to Rio. Wow. Um, I lived. I spent a lot of time in England with my old coach at the time, Luke Preston at Cambly. Yep. And uh, we just had this group of probably fourteen or fifteen guys that we lived in this tight a house much smaller than yours for 15 16 people wow um like a uni style dormitory and when i think i got there i was one of the youngest ones if not the youngest about 18 and you know there were guys there in their early 30s i think probably four people there had been to the game and olympic games um they'd produced a world champion they'd produced olympic medalists and it was just like this incredible place that I got a lot of fond memories from, and they're most of, a lot of my best mates now. Wow. Um, but yeah, we spent so much time away. Um, Josh, obviously, still being in school, he was tied down a little bit at home. But this time, I think it's just been this year has, in some ways, it feels like it's gone so slow and it's just dragged. But in other ways, like it doesn't feel like we were stuck in Spain in March, like that was that long ago. And now, obviously, we're nearly in we're in October, late yeah. October. Yep. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess. We were preparing for the Olympics, Olympic athletes and especially amateur athletes. I mean, we we do this full time, but um, we couldn't live purely from money that we get from judo. So we're relying on sponsors and all that other sort of stuff. But um, yeah, we were in Europe and we build our whole lives around four year blocks, really. With one day, you get a shot to change your life realistically, because if you win a world championship medal, it's fantastic. And it might, it'll definitely open up some doors, but you might still not be on the news if you've won a world championship medal, but if you win an Olympic medal for Australia, everyone knows about it. I mean, the Olympics is huge in a country like Australia. Yeah, yeah, so 100%. It was disappointing, obviously, when that got pushed back. And I mean, it's still difficult to know if it's been pushed back or the Olympic Committee maintains that they are going to go ahead. And But I guess similar with like we were chatting about the CrossFit Games and it just kept getting pushed back and back and back. And not having any real time frame on something is difficult and a little bit stressful. We thought we'd be in Europe this weekend fighting in about three hours time and, <laughs> and that got pulled out from us about 10 days ago. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's different. But I think this year, if anything, it's just taught you that you have to sort of just roll with the punches a little bit. And I think some of the stuff that we experienced younger has helped us this year for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. So mate, you, you were... Finishing year 12 before Rio. Yeah, so I fin- I graduated school 2015. Um, so from 2013 onwards, I was spending most of my school holidays overseas, like just maximizing the time um, where I wasn't at school, trying to get as much training and trying to get as much com- competitions in. Wow. Went away a few times while I was during school, but in year 11 and 12, like really only really pulled it back to like maybe the world championships, at junior world championships, like not even... Um, in seniors so I hadn't fought a senior international competition before until after I graduated from school so I I had all these plans as soon as I was my HSC was finished in October 2015 had all these plans I flew out like two weeks later to fight in my first competition like senior competition and uh, I mean at the time I still wasn't trying to qualify it was just like you finish school this is awesome like base myself overseas similar to what nathan was doing i'd been to cambly in england quite a few times training yep and just said yep that's definitely what i want to do like i'll spend 2016 just like spend as much time as i can overseas get as good as i can try to find as much as i could and did pretty well in the first couple of competitions um as soon as i left school and then got selected for um the first competition of the year in 2016 won a medal on the senior international tournament which was um like my, I guess my breakthrough result uh, as a junior even because I hadn't really competed a whole lot as a junior. Um, and then from that point on, they were like, look, like you're already in a pretty good spot on the world ranking. Like wow. we're going to try to qualify for Rio. So that sort of 
November 2015 to April, May 2016. That's sort of like five, six month period went so, so fast because I was in, uh, I was doing nine till three at school for however long and then left school straight away. And then I was just like traveling the world nonstop for six months. So, wow. Um, wow. That sort of six month period was, was pretty crazy. We didn't, I think we spent like maybe four weeks at home between like January 2016 to the Olympics. Like, and that was really just to do like some kidding out and some media after we'd qualified. Um, like we really had only one or two weeks of training max at home in the preparation for our last qualifying event in Canberra. Um, so <laughs> compare that to this period where this year, this last nine months has been, I guess, like, like what Nathan was saying, it's gone really fast, but nothing's happened. Like it's, it's been really strange. Like we, we've been in a good routine and I feel like we've definitely both made some huge improvements and worked on the things that we didn't really get time to work on because you're so wrapped up in competition. I was coming back from an injury to try to fighting more uh, Olympic qualifying events. So having some time to get healthy and yeah. just like deload a little bit mentally and physically. Um, yeah, it's weird because I guess then now we we sort of look at this whole year as, as a, we've done so much training, but like haven't really done anything at all, which is which is a little weird. Yeah, it's crazy, and most people will be sitting there going, "What? Whose parents let their kid just go and <laughs> yeah, you know, their kids go and live overseas?" And I guess that's the beautiful thing about your guys' position is that mum's been there dad's been around it the whole time like you guys I've, you know your parents are absolute beautiful people and it reflects because you guys are such humble nice uh nice young young men um and not only that like you both do uni as well so i'd like to think that both like you 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 guys must have done, put in some effort at school as well so to 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 get into university so there's a lot going on here boys yeah i mean it's pretty funny cuz People assume mom Olympian, dad Olympic coach, they were our coaches as kids and dad now is still our main coach. Um, so the the general assumption is, oh yeah, like your parents pushed you when you were young to do judo and that was it. Like they didn't care about school and it was just all judo and honestly, it was so far from the truth. Like mom and dad were really strict on us in school, much harder on us to do with school than, than with judo and sport. If, they, if we lost in a judo tournament because we fought hard, so be it like they there was never any uh you know any backlash for losing like they were always just about pushing us and yeah and having good crack but in school it was really important i mean it was for me i started traveling probably overseas when i was about 15 or f i think 15 the first time i went to europe with the national team and it was very much like they gave me so much work when i was away like i would we'd train in the morning we'd train in the afternoon when france was the first time and i'd be studying in the day or waking up early to get a bit of work done because i knew if i got home and I messed up a test or didn't do well, then I wouldn't be going away again. That was pretty much how it was growing up. If yeah. work wasn't done, like even in primary school, it's little stuff, it's not serious, but yeah. if you fell behind on homework or if we were playing up at school and got in trouble, then we didn't go to judo. So it was a pretty good for us. That was the perfect motivation rather yeah. than, oh, you confiscated phone or you we didn't, we weren't massive on PlayStation, that sort of thing anyway. <laughs> but it was just, if you, if really you played up, yeah. Yeah, if you played up or if you didn't get work done, then you didn't go to judo and that's all we wanted to do. So, yeah, you know, we, we got the stuff done. Yeah, that's super cool. Eh? Like I guess, um, you know, from the outside looking in, it is a true reflection of you guys and it's, you know, I always say a team is a reflection of its leader um, and, you know, 
there's no such thing as a shit dog, just a shit owner. <laughs> but it's like, you, you know, I look at the, the young men that you guys are from a personal perspective, plus what you guys do. Because again, like you got to look at the the magnitude of your competition versus you know, so the guys in Europe and Asia and stuff like that, they've always got you know a heap of really good guys around them. They can go on those you know the, the European tools and stuff like that. You know, you guys you know bust your balls you know to do well um, from an educational perspective. What you do for our country in terms of you know giving back educational talks and stuff like that. Uh, Nate's a, a, an ambassador for Lifeline. We'll go into that a bit later, but it's like. There's so much that you guys do and put into it, and then you get to a year like this where, because you both qualified for Tokyo, right? No, not yet. So the qualifying was due to end um, mid-May. Okay. Um, and we fought our last competition in February. So we had still planned, we'd still had flights to probably four or five more competitions. Um, I think we were scheduled planning on fighting about six um, before the qualifying ended. So. I mean, in theory, yeah, we were close, but um, I mean, there were still like five or six more events that we were scheduled to compete in and, yeah. and needed to still do pretty well, like not exceed anything we'd done before, but just like perform to our best ability so, in those five or six events. Yeah, in judo right now, no one in the world in any weight division has a guaranteed spot for the wow. Olympics. So, for judo, so not, not even the previous gold medalist? Not even the last Olympic champion, not even the current world champion. Not even <laughs> not whoever, world win, one, whoever wins tonight in Budapest, doesn't matter. Like it's, wow. It gets to the end of the qualification, they take the top 18 and then that's it. So, so just to, to dumb it down for, for myself and for everyone else, is it like a, a football season where you accumulate points? Is it winning a competition or is it podium and on a competition? Like how how what's the qualifying to qual- what's the, how do you qualify for for the Olympic team for Australia? So I'd probably compare it most similarly similarly to tennis, like the World Tour, where there's a ranking list from tournaments each year. So for the Olympic Games, they take your five best results in the two years prior, five each year. Yep. The sum of those points, so obviously they'll be scaled at different levels from World Cups to Grand Prix to Grand Slams to World Championship level events. Um, and those points obviously get scaled depending on the difficulty of the tournament. And then they get to three months before the Olympics or May 2021 now, which sounds weird saying. <laughs> and they'll take the top 18 in the world, one per country, per weight division. So me and Josh aren't fighting each other for one spot. I'm trying to be in the top 18 in the world in my weight. He's trying to be in the top 18 in the world in his. Wow. And then they have a bunch of quotas like per continent and a few wild cards and stuff like that. But you really don't want to have to be flirting with them ideally. So 18 directly and then the draw ends up finishing at about between 30 and 32. So not every country gets a representation. Every country gets one. So every country gets one wild card oh, if you don't qualify okay. anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, if Australia qualified no one, which... I mean, it's almost a zero percent chance. Australia will get a will get a few direct qualified. Yeah, um, we've got a couple of people that right now that are doing really well. Yep. Then only we'd get one wild card spot. So, um, I yeah. guess what makes the Olympics unique to compared to the World Championships even is that only one per country can go in each weight division. So at the World Championships, the draw might be double the size because uh, countries are allowed to enter two in each weight division, whereas the Olympics is only one. So the top 18 ends up dropping a little bit as some of the the strongest countries in the world might have two or possibly even three yeah. in that top um, ranking. Um, so it will be, if there's 30 athletes at the Olympics, it'll be 30 different countries like represented in each division. So what what countries would be the, the strongest at these worlds? Who would be the countries that would have two or three in each weight class? You're looking at pretty, pretty typically Japan, Korea, Mongolia, 
they are probably your Asian countries. Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan are very tough. Wow. And then you've got... I thought they just did Borat. They <laughs> <laughs> do that too. Uh, and then you've got like your strong Eastern Bloc countries like Russia, France, Germany, Georgia, Azerbaijan. To be honest, the longer the name and the harder it is to say it, the tougher the guys are. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have trouble pronouncing the name, you're up against someone that's going to be a serious scrub. Jesus. Know? Yeah, that's insane. If they, if they don't play a lot of sport, they probably fight. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um and yeah, look, I, I guess the um like the, the 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 key thing here is obviously, you know, Olympic Games, you know, making it back through to, to Tokyo and then, you know, virtually straight into twenty twenty two for the for the Com games as well. So what's the difference for a qualifier for the for the Olympics and the Com games? Uh Com games will just be the number one in Australia per weight division will qualify. So it's a much simpler process to qualify. Right now, we're both number one in our divisions by quite a long way. There's not really a, a number two per se. Yep. Um, so right, if the qualifying for Com Games finished today, we'd both go. Um, so it's a it's a much more simplistic process than than qualifying for the Olympics. I yeah. think it's also relative to the tournament as well because the Olympics, you are talking about the top. 18 directly and then maybe top 25 or 30 guys in the world whereas the commonwealth games you're only looking at less than 30 countries i think um, we'd both be ranked in the top two two or three one two um, or three in the commonwealth yeah. so yeah compared to the world where you're pushing to be in the top 30 it's uh yeah it's so a, 2022 if you guys are both healthy there's a good chance that you will you will medal at the commonwealth games yeah ideally we uh we both win Commonwealth gold, gold medal on, on the same would day be, would be fantastic. <laughs> be great, How good! Be a great story, wouldn't it? Beers are on me. <laughs> <laughs> I hold you to that. Yeah, no, they're on me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's um, it's crazy. Look, obviously, um, the the ride of you know being with Olympian Olympic athletes in a time like this is just absolutely crazy. But what was it like? Um, what was it like going to Rio and having each other? Because obviously, like, you know, you go into a camp with the Australian team, obviously you've got an international coach, but how good was it for, for both of you to, to have each other? And I guess more so for you, Josh, being being the younger brother, what was it like having big brother there with you? I mean, it was unbelievable. The The qualifying process itself was awesome. To be, We actually fought in our last qualifying event in Canberra. Um, oh, home soil. So Mum and yeah, Dad good. were there as well. And yeah. We had uh, the whole judo team, like not even just the people that were trying to qualify, but loads and loads of of other people in the judo in the judo community were there which which was awesome to be able to celebrate and, and share that together um and because our team is small relative to i guess other sports you look at like 20 or 30 deep that go to an olympics like the judo team i think was seven mm. um four boys and three girls so we spent probably that last four or five months just traveling as a group of seven plus the coach as well obviously um, so being able to share that together was was unbelievable. Yeah, the, all of those qualifying experiences and all the training camps and a lot of the really shit times as well when you're getting beat up really really bad <laughs> on training camps and you're trying to lose a lot of weight in a really short period of time. Um, having somebody else that is doing literally the exact same thing because obviously the other people in your team we are obviously doing the same thing, but they go back to Australia, they do their thing. I go back to Sydney, I do my thing and. But having someone that's doing literally the exact same thing every single day was was awesome. And then the Olympic experience itself was was unbelievable. Obviously, the the competition didn't didn't exactly go to plan uh, for either of us. But um, everything other than I guess the 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 outcome was um, was amazing. 
Mate, that the uh, the day we both qualified that tournament in Canberra, so it was the 2016 Oceania, and going into it, we both had to win gold to to qualify directly for the Olympics. Ideally, if we so had a, absolutely no pressure at all. No, nothing. <laughs> and uh, it, it isn't the hardest tournament. Like you're talking New Zealand, the Islander countries. It's small, and and it's a tournament that we've won almost every time we fought there. But when you when you know for fact that if you win, you go to the Olympics, and if you lose. chance don't go to the Olympics. It's quite a pressure environment. And my draw was really, really small. So I only had one guy. So instead of having like a preliminary rounds, I was just in a straight final. So I think I'd beaten this guy two or three times before, but I was watching, sitting around all day and I watching Nathan fight in the prelims. I watched another guy walking around like absolutely like dropping his ass out, throwing (laughs) up in the bin. I saw Nathan. Nathan barely even spoke to me. Like we'll warm me up all morning. He couldn't even speak to me. And I was just like, man, I was like, I've, sh- I've beaten this guy before. Like, why am I so nervous? And then as soon as I got up to like the 10 minutes before the event, I was like, holy crap, like I am breaking it right But the now. finals block started and Josh was the first fight of the finals block and I was fight fight two. So he's on the mat in the final with dad, who's our coach. So he wasn't staying with me in the marshalling area. It was just uh, one of the assistant coaches standing with me. And obviously I could watch him and I normally put headphones on and try pretty much not even to watch the match before mine. I just like switch off and just think about like what I'm about to go and do. Obviously, that wasn't possible because Josh is fighting right in front of me, and you can't help but be completely invested in that match. I mean, as much as I wanted to go to the Olympics, I wanted him to qualify equally, as, if not more, to be honest, than, yeah. than me. Yeah. Um, and then when he won, it was just like so like overwhelming because I thought, geez, you can't let little brother Josh get to the Olympics. Yeah. And, and I, I stumbled at the last hurdle, but try and pull yourself together and carry on and that no, was good we both did you have like an adrenaline dump with the with the emotion of watching getting watching him get his hand raised no we talked about that a lot so i dad had said for a long time mum and dad had said look you're almost definitely going to fight 10 minutes after josh is going to fight to qualify and you can't be 100 percent invested in what's going on there like you just have to remember what you got to do at the end of the day you both know if you bring your best performance then you'll win today and we we're both like yep that's what you got to do so it's easier said than done. I can tell you, when I watched him, I was stoked. Like, I was yeah. so happy. Shout out to um, Mama and Papa Cats as well. Yeah, dropping the wisdom. So yeah. when, I, when I came straight off the, the mat, actually, the drug testers were there. And like, I uh, hugged my dad, I hugged my mom, And uh, drug tester grabbed me. He's like, look, we've got to go straight away. Like, we're limited on staff. I've got to get you out of here, like, ASAP. I was like, look, mate, my brother's about to fight. He's about to try to qualify for the Olympics. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. He's like, dragging me. He's like, got me by the arm. He's like, dragging me. And my mum, I've never seen her scream at an adult before. She coaches kids, so like every now and then one of them plays up, she screams at her. She, just, she was like, you let him stay there. And she's like getting in this drug tester's face. I was like, oh my God. I was like, mum, I was like, mum's going to go out and try to find out as well. <laughs> Lucky mum didn't hip, hip toss the dude from Masada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty magical moment, boys. It's, um, yeah, I, I like it. I couldn't comprehend what it would be like to to have, you know, not only one person qualify for the Olympics, but two as your sons. Then obviously, you know, your mum, you know, did it in was it eighty eight? Seoul? Yeah. Seoul eighty eight. Um, what was what was it like back at the cat's house after after that weekend in Canberra? I mean, we were super I mean, I think almost the next day it had started to be we've always dreamed since we were little kids of going to the Olympic Games, but I don't think my dream was ever like wearing an Olympic t-shirt and like walking out the opening ceremony. I think my Olympic dream was always associated with a podium and listening to an anthem and you don't hear your anthem unless you win Olympic gold medal. So I've always wanted to win. Australia's never won an Olympic gold medal in men's 
judo. Wow. Um, so ever since I was a little kid, that was my dream, like to be the first Australian to win an Olympic gold medal. And I think it switched pretty quickly to, yeah, that's super cool, but how cool would it be to win? Or how cool would it be to win an Olympic medal or to fight for a medal? So it pretty quickly shifted to like, we have a really big job now in preparing to get in like the best shape of your life for the Olympics. But it was still, once you know that you're there and we'd qualified that spot and it's something we'd worked for for so long, I think it was, I mean, there was good energy in our house for sure. I mean, we, fresh after turning 18, I had a, a pretty wild night out in Canberra. That <laughs> <night>. <laughs> Did you go to Moose? Is it Mooseheads? Moose yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, that day was, yeah, it was insane. Um, <laughs> it was it was a good night. But yeah, that pretty much the next day we woke up and we were like, right, we had a camp straight away to start preparing for the next lot of tournaments. They weren't qualifying, but they were to get in good shape for the game. So. Had the morning off. Obviously, the day after <laughs> that night. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, we pretty much got almost straight back to work again. That's crazy. It's such, it's such a um, it's such a cool cool story. And, you know, look, as as I said, I've, I've got to, to get to know you guys, you know, pretty well. And it's I, – I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to just be, you know, two brothers, you know, taking on the world together. Um, and, you know, the fact that you, you know, had that passion to hear that anthem and fight for that medal and, and you know, knowing that you'd fought a guy before who you've beaten and you're like, I can do this, but you're still throwing up into buckets. <laughs> it's, but, like, what's, um, what's the, the mindset like and where do you go to when you go into that Australian camp and you know you're about to wear the green and gold on the mats for Australia? Um, I guess for me it was potentially a little bit different because going into Rio, I knew that I had a chance to compete against some of the top guys. But Had I you competed against them before, Josh? I, at some of the lead-up tournaments, um, I'd competed against a couple of guys that were really high level, but mostly just training with them. Um, first round at the Olympics, I ended up drawing the guy who got bronze, so I guess that was my first exposure to someone really at that level. Yeah. Um, but I think I knew like really that I didn't really have a chance to medal in Rio. Like I was going to give, I prepared as well as I could, gave it a red hot go. But I think I knew that there was plenty of guys in the draw that I could beat and get through a few rounds. But realistically, a medal wasn't on the card to me at that point. What would have the average age been for for someone in your weight class? Uh, I think the average age is probably twenty six, twenty seven. So these are these are matured, matured. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I hadn't come across the. The only person I really knew, like on a personal level, was the guy we were living with and training with England. He qualified in, for Great Britain um, in under. There's 60. a pretty funny photo actually of the day before Josh weighed in at the games, and it's the four men that qualified in our team. So Josh in 60, me in 66, Jake in 73, and Owen in 81. And Jake's the same age as me. Owen's about two years older, and we're all pretty abbed up. We're a bit older than Josh. I think I was 21. Um, I'd still and then like you've the got little kid's this body, little, with like a little bit of puppy pit, fat on my stomach. The so funny. It's just this little kid that <laughs> got like, shared around a couple of years ago. I was when I was so angry at Jacob. <laughs> what was the um, what was the attention like? Obviously, you've gone from a school kid, Nath. Obviously, you know you've you spent a lot of a lot of your time overseas. You know after after leaving school. What was the attention like from the media, from the press, from the public, from your local community to go from, oh, no one knows about judo, to these local kids that are going to, to, to represent Australia for, um, in Rio for judo? What, what, was, what was that like? Was it a big shock? Was, it, was, there a, was there a lot of media responsibility for you guys? Yeah, we had quite a lot of 
media attention and, and support, I guess, from the community when we qualified. I think there's that family story. Everyone likes that that story of, you know, mum had been before and dad is really involved with... I mean, he's him and mum are the two biggest parts of our, of our, of our life and our judo journey especially. Um, so there was quite a lot of attention. And I wouldn't really call it pressure because... I mean, you go on to the Olympics, there's enough pressure on you. You know what, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know what's at stake. It's once every four years. Um, but we definitely did get quite a bit of attention because of the story. And It's a we, very nostalgic, feel-good yeah. story, isn't yeah. it? I mean, considering that neither of us had like won a medal at the World Championships or anything like that before, we were getting quite a lot of attention for, I guess, our profile going into the Olympics, which was small from a competition-level perspective. Um, so like the the increase in media was was huge for, relative to what we were doing, which was which was virtually nothing. I think we both thrived on it though. Like we knew from a really young age that that's what we wanted to be. That's where we wanted to be. Not not standing in front of microphones and in front of cameras, but we knew that if you want to win an Olympic medal, if you want to win an Olympic gold medal, you're going to be in these positions where this stuff is just part of it. And um, while it's not something that I dreamed of, like being in front of the camera, I knew that that was just going to be something that was going to come with it. So. I mean, if anything, it sort of made the lead up a little bit more real. It actually reminded you, oh, there's like there's an Olympic Games coming, like because it was really surreal leading up to it. It sort of just feels like any other competition, and then you enter that Olympic bubble and the village, and all of a sudden you're just encapsulated in this little Olympic world almost. I think having each other for that part was useful, was really helpful as well because you could sort of check each other because you're doing the same media. Like, I mean. The biggest part of our story was that it was the two of us qualifying. So all of the media we were doing was together. So I guess you could always like keep each other a little bit more accountable. Like, yeah, yeah, all right. Like, let's do a little bit of media if somebody asks. But like, we need to do this section. Like, we still have to. Prioritize, we are there yeah. to compete. Like, yeah. we're not doing. Helps did, when you live with your coach too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 did mum did mama cats love it? Did she love being back in the spotlight? <laughs> nah, she's uh, <laughs> she's not really all about in front of the camera. But um, I think there was like a pretty cool little piece they put together of like her giving us a big hug after we qualified and. There's definitely like really special moments that that we got to share together. So it's definitely motivation to get back for a second Olympics together. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I guess, you know, as you said before, you know, you you put your whole life and soul into this, um, this journey. What's the what's the reality from people? Because obviously, you know, you're on TV, there's a lot of media hype and you know, you, you, you front and center for everything for those, you know, however long the media lasts for and then up then the games. What's the reality of an Olympic athlete on a day-to-day basis? You know, you're not fighting in the UFC, or you're not you're fighting in these big promotions, or you're not in the NRL where you've got you know massive sponsorship. What's the reality? What does what a, 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 a general week look like for you? So, um, like so as you touched on, we don't rely 100%. We do rely rather on sponsors and money from Judo Australia, and but that doesn't account for everything. So. We still live at home um, just because we spend so much time away. It doesn't make any sense for it to be moving out. And we've got a great home set up and we're, we're really close family. So it's that's a, all it's a school, school of hard knocks down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, both of us teach a little bit of judo as well to some like state and state level kids that come out of our judo club. Yep. Um, so we do like some privates and small group stuff. We both speak um, in schools to like year nine and year 10 kids. Yep. It's part of the Olympic Committee, so it's called the Olympics Unleashed Program. So it's really just like drawing on any different source of income you, you can. We've got a couple of sponsors, and I mean, you'd know about that, but <laughs> it's not easy also in minority sports and in Olympic sports where the reality is people care about the Olympics when the Olympics are on, for six months before and for six months after. But 
if you don't win an Olympic medal, the 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 real reality is that they probably don't care the day after you finish fighting. So there is that big dump when you get a lot of attention, a lot of media, and there's a lot of lights and attention on you. But if you lose, which happened to both of us, the two days later, I mean, the next day, a few reporters will call and they want a story. And I mean, I'm not super interested in giving it the day after you've just feel like your whole life's come crushing down. <laughs> you do and you give your answers and stuff. But a week later, there's someone else. Someone else in Australia is going to win an Olympic medal or Olympic gold medal. And that's where the attention's going to shift. So um, that's something that you have to deal with. And, and a lot of people do have a big dump and a big crash after the Olympics. I think it was different for Josh because it happened so last minute and he was just buzzing to be there. And that didn't mean he didn't want to win or he didn't think he could. But at that stage in his life, it probably wasn't realistic. But um, for me, I definitely... I probably only this year when the Olympics got postponed that I could look back a lot more positively on Rio because probably for two or three years after, I didn't really like talking about it much. Like I wouldn't talk about it with other people. If I was asked about it, I'd say something, but it probably wasn't something I was really proud of until sort of this year when the chance of maybe a second Olympics got maybe taken away. So uh, like I want to touch on that because um, a big thing about this, do you, do you like obviously – the dream is to hear the national anthem, or you know, definitely stand on the podium, um, and you, you it, it, it crushes you. You've worked so hard for this, for this, you know, dream, and then the reality sets in, and then the people that were there taking photos of you, asking you questions, are no longer there, and everything's quiet and it's dark. What What do you think was a major catalyst for you to get through that hard period? That if you didn't have that, there could have been potential mental health problems. Yeah. Um I think mum, dad, Josh, our national coach, Daniel, I'm really, really close with him. Um, but, I mean, it's raw. It's it's tough. It's real. You you lose and you know that the Olympic Games, it's not like in the NRO, if you lose a game, you can come back next week. If you lose a grand final, it's, I mean, I imagine it's awful, but there's next year. And in judo at the Olympics, it's four years. So it's not even come back next week, next year. It's come back in four years and you just don't know what... I mean, no one could have anticipated like a global pandemic, but you don't know what your circumstance is going to be in four years, whether it's injury or issues with weight or whatever it might be. So that's tough. And I just remember I was just shattered. I'd beaten this boy who I lost to at the Olympics about six months before uh, in my best ever result. And that that was probably the result that qualified me for the Games. Yep. Um, And I was beating him. So my draw was really tough. I had this Moroccan boy. And the fight before me, I just watched the number two seed lose. And he would have been my next fight. And like I touched on earlier, I try never to watch the fight before me because I try and really just stay in my lane and focus and, and get myself going for that fight. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't like stop watching this fight. And I watched this Russian boy lose. And all of a sudden, I thought, I've beaten this boy that I'm fighting right now. And I felt pretty confident that I could beat this boy who just beat the number two seed. It was a much better style for me than the Russian boy. And... All of a sudden, you can start picturing yourself in the quarters, in the semis, on the podium, and your mind comes away a little bit from from the task at hand. And I was beating this Moroccan boy, I think, by three penalties to one, and it was the best I've ever felt on the mat. Like I just felt walking out onto the mat, I just felt like this where I was supposed to be. I didn't have that Olympic nerves or the jitters. I just felt like, man, this is what I was like meant to be. This is what I was here to do, and it just felt incredible. Um, anyway, about thirty seconds to go, I just I had a little lapse and I got caught and. That was the end of the fight and I lost in the, as quick as you could click your fingers, that was the end of my fight and I just remember like it just felt like your world was crashing down and I walked straight through the media tunnel, like a lot of uh, microphones and stuff in your face and I just, I was this young kid that couldn't 
I was just bore my eyes out. I couldn't speak to cameras or get photos or anything like that. And um, I mean, it's rough. I haven't really talked about it since the Olympics, but I was just sitting on, I don't know how mum got in because you, you needed accreditation. She was just in the stands and I was just sitting on some dirty concrete floor in, in Brazil <laughs> in this stadium, just crying on the floor and mum sort of just hugging me. And um, it was rough. I mean, it's tough and Josh and dad and there were plenty of days that night I just laid in bed and I was pretty much just crying the whole night because I just couldn't believe what happened. Like I just felt incredible. And it's, it, it's so overwhelming when you don't know for certain if you're going to get back. Um, and this is your dream your whole life. And then, yeah. Um, but yeah, Josh, mom, dad, Daniel, and, and our team, our club, people really made you feel special when you got home from the games. And that almost made it, in some ways it made it worse because mom and dad and Josh, they understood how much pain it was to lose. Whereas a lot of people couldn't understand why you weren't coming home like absolutely stoked. Like you just come back from the Olympics. To most people, that's, the most incredible thing. Yeah. And it is, it is incredible. hundred percent. I mean, or on the flip side, there's the people that really just don't, they, they see how successful Australia is as a sporting nation. They just go, did you win? Like, well, why not? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, why didn't you win a medal? Cause I'm not Ian it's Thorpe. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, that's also really difficult to sort of explain. Like, yeah, you're trying to explain to someone like, yeah, I, I wasn't good enough. And a lot of the time you saw, we we're talking about this the other day when we heard. Because, another, cause in your, cause in your gym, you guys are rock stars, right? Like, obviously, yeah. There's you in the Commonwealth. You guys are the top seed. You obviously caught. So the, these guys at your gym, who are everyday, you know, Joe Blows and, and Judoka players, um, they look up to you. They see you as superheroes. So I guess for them, you guys not winning a medal or winning gold would would, would have been like a a big shock to them because they're like, well, you guys are our heroes. <laughs> yeah, I think especially the kids, they don't understand like the Olympics. Some of them probably didn't know that how you went, if you won or not. You either have a gold medal or you got no medals. No, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. When you're a kid, it's like, did you win? Nah. Oh, fair enough. It's pretty cool you went though. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? And, and that's special. And it was nice to get to share like some of that Olympic spirit with those kids and, and with our community. And to be honest, I think the thing that got us through the most, or for me anyway, was that I wanted to Tokyo. And I knew that four years, I wanted to use the lessons I sort of had learned and just that emotion of not wanting to feel like that again. Yeah, thanks for stealing my next question. Yeah, so keep going. <laughs> to, push, to push me for four years. I think yeah. I know how bad that day was and the the couple of days after. And, and it's something that lived with you for a couple of years, really. I mean, it's still, it's not a nice memory. Um, Do you feel like you you over-visualized the win? Like you like uh, you felt you almost like a complacent where you're like, I've, I've already done it? Yeah, I saw, I was seeing a sports psychologist for quite a lot after the Olympics because... I just couldn't really put into words or I couldn't really deal with the way I was feeling about the Olympics. And I sort of had spoken about, I felt like I was just floating on a cloud on the Olympics. And then all of a sudden the cloud fell out from underneath you and that was it. And that's the end of the day and about trying to control your emotion and your mind really while you're fighting. And that's something that we still work on today. But um, yeah, I learned that lesson firsthand. And is this, I guess, why you have that... Um that affiliation with Lifeline is is that where that kind of came into it that mental side of thing you knew the struggles that you were going through so you had that uh, that connection with obviously a, a, an organization like Lifeline to be honest back then I hadn't I didn't know about Lifeline I'd never heard of it in 2016 I hadn't heard of mental illness or mental health or anything like that and that sort of that side of thing sort of started last year 2019 so I had a really bad uh, start to the year in terms of competition success. Probably my three three worst months of judo competitive-wise. I lost to boys that, I mean, no disrespect, but they were ranked considerably lower than me. And 
I lost to them in really in quite bad in quite bad matches in Morocco and Israel and in Germany and um, I mean it's an empty feeling. Josh had been injured, so he was at home. I was over there on my own with our team and our coach and. I'm really close with the coach and a couple of people in the team, but it's not the same as being with your mum and your dad. So he's the secret weapon. Yeah, I mean, oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, we we fight all the time and we pick each other and we knock, but we're the main support system that we have for each yeah. other. And um, I was just really down. I remember coming off the mat in Morocco and I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep doing judo and I didn't know if I wanted to still qualify for Tokyo. Um, I just couldn't understand how I was working so hard and I was performing so poorly and I just couldn't I couldn't understand it and I didn't want to understand it. But at the same time, whenever I thought about maybe I'll just have a break from this and, and not keep pushing towards Tokyo, I just couldn't. I was just be so upset and emotional because I've, that's all I've ever known to, to get to the games and ever since Rio, that's all I wanted. But there were two pretty high-profile suicides in the international judo community last year and one was a British boy... I'm pretty sure, yeah, Craig Craig Fallon. He was a former world champion for, for Britain. And he was produced from the judo club that I lived at in England. Um, and he was someone I didn't have a huge amount of contact with, but he trained in and out of that place a little bit when I was there. And he was someone that everyone that has ever done judo in Camberley looked up to. And he was just this top bloke and he's the most talented person I've ever seen on the judo mat. Like it was, wow. it was like watching, I mean, if you play tennis, it's like, watching Roger Federer. Federer it was just this yeah. it was this freak the way that the little kids might look up to us at our judo club like we as like Olympians would look up to him like he was like wow he okay was the guy yeah. I mean like in uh we all live together so he'd be he'd be living in the same place as us or for for days or for weeks or whatever and we'd just be sitting there and I just I knew whenever he was speaking if we were having dinner I was just like hung on every word that he was saying it was just wow it was just looking at this guy like he was superhuman almost and be like me with brad fitler <laughs> yeah 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 no yeah. really like a someone that was just an idol and um unfortunately he took his own life and and no one really knew um why i guess he had a family he had a young a young daughter and wow um i remember waking up one day and i sort of saw something on facebook and i mean i wasn't in touch with craig like daily like it was not someone i spoke to regularly but it was just like this huge figure in in judo and I heard about it and I was just like, I was so rattled, especially thinking about his young family. Um, yeah. And then about two or three weeks later, so we'd finished at the World Championships and uh, an American boy who was the same age as me, I woke up one morning and I found out that he uh, took his own life as well. Wow. Uh, and he was someone I was pretty good friends with. Like he wasn't my best mate, but he was someone we'd grown up doing juniors and stuff together internationally. Yeah. And always a, sm a bright smile. And, and I think his one really hit home because there were so many similarities in our life like he spent a lot of time away from home he left home when he was really young to travel exactly the same thing i did spent three quarters of the year overseas training and competing exactly the same thing i did yeah he'd just gone through a patch where he'd been quite unsuccessful in competition he'd struggled which is literally the exact same thing that i dealt with earlier in the year and i was just like so rattled by um that news and i was really close with a couple of his close friends and it was just like one of those things that I was just like, man, like it just made me reflect so much on all these things and why why no one really saw it. They just both seemed like they were completely out of the blue and shock. It's always that, that case, but isn't it? It's always the people that you so least expect. Um, we had a we had a friend, um, yeah, take his own life. Some friends down to down on the on the south coast and. You know, very very successful guy. The guy who's always around everyone to help everyone else out lovable you know the life of the party sort of guy um 
and it, yeah, so 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 sad. Um, yeah, shout out to Todd Pike, Pikey. Um, yeah, so it's it. I could see how much it rattled you, and I guess for you, Josh, how hard was it to see? You know, your your big brother. You know, in in that sort of in that sort of mind frame as well. I mean, it's it's hard to support each other in person, but like it's so difficult to be able to support somebody when you're not with them. So yeah. that period that Nathan was talking about at the start of last year, I was coming off a pretty bad injury and a lot of it was self-inflicted with some of my own like personal like weight-making issues. I wasn't disciplined with my diet and with my training over the Christmas period, came back and was trying to lose a real lot of weight in a really short period of time and, and got injured and wasn't able to compete in the competition um so for me that was like a really big reflective period as well because i was thinking like i'm not even able to compete because of these issues i'm self-inflicting really like i'm not even putting myself into the position to be able to compete at a good level too much terry masu too much (laughs) and um so then that period was obviously difficult for me and mum and dad were giving me a lot of support to try to sort of get get my get everything going together like come on like the Olympic period, the Olympic qualifying period was about six months away from, I think, no, it already started at that point. It was in yeah. the 50% period. And I'd missed a lot of the period already with injury and had another injury. And I was just a period for me where, to be honest, I needed to spend more time on myself. And then yeah. the fact that Nathan was going through those, that sort of lapse in competition period. And we were speaking every day and I was sort of uh, giving it like I was sort of unloading on him as like man this is a bit hard like I'm trying to do this and he was giving me the same and you know we always rely on the other person to be the positive one when one's negative and that was a very difficult period because he was very negative and wanted to come home I was really negative wanted to go away (laughs) (laughs) and we just sort of couldn't really bounce off positive energy off each other so when Nathan came back from that period we had quite a while together which was which was really good we could sort of get through some of those difficult things ourselves, and i got through i've i got through like the physical issues i was having nathan was started to enjoy training a lot more and started to get on a bit of a better competition run and it's not so much i don't think the outcome either like i mean you obviously know more about it than me was you but it was the we started enjoying the process a lot more because it was just i was not enjoying the competition period because i was trying to lose so much weight nathan wasn't enjoying it because he was putting so much pressure on himself. And then I think that little bit of time together, because we had spent quite a lot of time apart, yeah. whereas I was traveling overseas for a lot of 2018 um, because Nathan was injured by myself. And then Nathan was traveling a lot by himself because I was injured. So then we didn't really have that period where we could bounce off each other when you're just training by, like even healthy, injured, like whatever, you just have a hard, com- you just have a hard training day sometimes. Yeah, and you just need you go back to your room, and when there's just one other person that just goes, "You're right, mate," and it's like, "Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all right." Like it was just a bad session. It's like, "Let's go get some food." Like we'll be all right. Whereas when you're by yourself, you just sit in your room and think about how bad you your session was. <laughs> just getting this right. Yeah. <laughs> so you come back from your room, and it's like, "Oh, well, I feel really bad about that session. That was pretty bad. I'm going to go have dinner by myself, and then come back and think more about how bad the session." <laughs> yeah. Was. I think then coming back together and spending some more time and spending most of last year. Um, like the second half of last year together, we started enjoying um, the experience a lot more. And and then as the Olympics to, is sort of coming around and it's a little bit more reality, there was a lot more pressure on us to start performing better, especially I'd missed a lot of tournaments with injury and Nathan had that that lapse in, in results for a period of time. So then we had a different sort of pressure where it's like, you know, the Olympics is 
now a year away and if you want to go like it's not just going to happen like the qualifying period this time around got quite a lot more difficult than it was before Rio. Yep. So we were relying not just on being the best in sort of our continental region and picking up a, a few results. It was now being like really asserting yourself as like one of the best in the world. So yeah. that sort of pressure we had to uh, deal with, I guess, together because we were both in the exact same position. So in yeah. that sense, we were really lucky to be able to have each other. Yeah, well, I, I commend you, Nath, for obviously, you know, getting on board with um, – with Lifeline and and obviously you know you, you see how hard it hits you and how hard it can hit anyone you know you guys are fighters yeah you you'll fight through anything and if you know fighters can you know not fight for their own life and get into that 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 stage then it's very easily for for any human being so um, mate good on you for for getting around that and um, and good on you for not any more any more tiramisu <laughs> no, I'm joking I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess um, to you know, we'll give a shout out to Lifeline um, through the socials, and and um, yeah, look, obviously it's so easy to sit there and go, look, if you're not feeling the best, talk to someone. I guess it's more so, you know, the people around, you know, people look for the people around you. Look when they're going quiet. Look when they're, you know, look like they're. You can sense when someone's in their own head, and you do need to do that. You need to pull them out. You need to, you know, ask them to go for a meal and spend some time with them and, and try and break those walls down and start that conversation. Um, as my good friend Dan Hunt would say from the mental health movement. But just to, to touch on that weight cutting um, p- perspective, you know. What is the magnitude of weight cutting? Because what would you guys walk around at, and then what would what do you compete at? Obviously, sixty six under sixty six under sixty. 60. Um, what do you guys walk around at, and then when uh, when do you guys get weighed um, before competition? So, so <laughs> I uh, I am pretty lean at about seventy two seventy two and a half kilos, um, and that'll be pretty much my walking around weight between seventy two and seventy three. And that's in pretty good shape. Like that's pretty lean. Um, if I'm if I come away from being quite disciplined with diet, I'm pretty. I can pretty easily be 74, 75 kilos. So it's a decent way down to 66. Um, especially in a sport like judo, where you really feel in the mat when you're hungry or you're a bit <laughs> low on energy or calories. And um, the other guy that you're training with, he might not be dieting and trying to lose weight. So he might be feeling really strong and full of energy that day. And he really doesn't care about how much you had for dinner. Like he's, if he's got energy, he's coming at you at, at training. So um, it's difficult. I think that's probably the least enjoyable process or part of judo. And I'm going to move up after after Tokyo. I, I should have been. If the Olympics were this year, I wouldn't be fighting 66 anymore. I'd be 73, <laughs> which, is, which is lovely. But beyond the tiramisu diet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is a big thing and uh, it's something that I've we've both struggled with at certain times. I think more mentally than physically because it's it's all discipline. Um, we've always never had an issue with training hard and we've never had an issue with being really disciplined. But sometimes when you have to fight so often, 8 to 10 to 12 to 14 times a year, it can be really draining making that weight every time. And especially when you add missing home or little things that could be going wrong, injuries, then that becomes difficult. I mean, there's been some some really rough cuts where... I've never, I've never missed weight. I've never failed weight. Um, but there have been some hard, hard cuts. I mean, there's been days when a few tournaments where you weigh in the night before. So if I compete on Saturday at 10 in the morning, you weigh in Friday night at 8. And it's not that long to recover and you have to be within 5% the next day. Four people get randomly re-selected to be within 5%. And if you're not within that 5%, then you may as well have missed weight the first time because 
that's it. You drop from the competition. So, Damn. so, you, so you, it's not like the, it's not like like boxing or mixed martial nah. arts where you go and have a big refeed. <laughs> I mean, we we do we refeed and rehydrate, but I don't rehydrate a hundred percent by the time the five percent period goes up. So, if you've left a lot of weight to the last minute and had to lose six or seven percent of your body weight in the last two or three days, and then you can only put five percent back in by the time you're fighting, like you don't feel like yourself. You're still running on on fumes i mean i've had periods where i've been a little bit injured leading up to competitions and i've started fight week on a monday at 73 and a half kilos and then on friday night i'm 66 so on thursday morning you're 71 and then you're just you're getting rid of water and it's so is it like is it just a, a switch that flicks when you when you walk onto the mats even though like the hungry and everything goes um in terms of competition yeah day, when you compete in terms of competition day i think it's you could have, I mean, every single person in the draw is going to be strapped up. So either fingers or ankle or elbow or someone, every person in that draw at the Olympics has an injury or something, but no one cares. At the end of the day, the guy who, the Korean boy who won under 81 kilos at the Olympics in London, there was a picture of him in the warm-up room and he had, I think, both his knees strapped, both his elbows and ankle, all his fingers, both his wrists. Like this dude was just broken. And he there was like an article came out. And he had like a year off because he had to have like three or four major surgeries after the Olympics. Directly after the Olympics. What a and savage. That article wouldn't have been made if he came fifth. Like no one, no one, <laughs> yeah. re- realistically, no one really cares <laughs> unless you win about yeah. all the issues you had. So when you get in that marshalling area and your headphones are on, you're in the tunnel ready to walk out. I think it doesn't matter if you've, it will affect you, obviously, if you've had a bad cut, but you have to just be in that mind frame that. It's a fight at the end of the day, and yeah. you just have to show up and, and fight. What's the um? What was what was the biggest thing that got you back on on track, Joshy? Because obviously you're struggling with that with that weight cut and making that weight. What did you What did you learn, and what did you find out about yourself that you had to be more disciplined in, or or what was working for you? Was it you know you different food groups or different dietary requirements to to help you stay closer to your fighting weight so you didn't have to struggle so much? To be honest, a lot of it was just like increasing my knowledge and trying to educate myself a little bit. Um, but a lot of it was just, I guess, after at the end of 2018, I'd had a really successful period. Like I'd, I'd come off an injury completely unrelated to making weight, just had a, a bad luck injury. Came back after quite a long period and, and was really successful with some competition results. So then that sort of December, January period where I was just like, yeah, I've earned this. Like I'm going to enjoy myself for a couple of weeks. I've been so disciplined for six months. And then going through that period where um, sort of I had to put it into perspective, like what am I actually trying to do? Like do I want to just win a medal at the the tournament in Hong Kong, like a continental, which was a great result. Like I was super stoked with it, but I was like, is that enough? Like, or do I actually want to try to go to the Olympics? And I now missed, I've now missed another three qualifying events that I won't be able to get back because of this injury that I think is, is weight related. Yeah. And a lot of it, I did work with the nutritionist for a little bit, but a lot of it in the end, I think, was just putting into perspective, like, what um, what do I actually want out of the sport? Like, do I want to just be awesome at one tournament a year and then take six months and, like, be super stoked with, like, a result that, when I look back on at the end of my career, is not going to be something, like, I'm going to hang my hat on at the end. And I think a lot of it was just realizing what my goal was, which was the Olympics and there's a lot of smaller goals that need to happen before the Olympics, which is going to the World Championships and the Continental Championships and all these other little results that you need that I'm not going to be able to get them if I fight three times a year. Even if I do well in those three events, like I'm going to need to fight eight times a year. 
and then I need to train in between. Like I'm not improving if I'm taking time off the mat. So I think the biggest part was just treating it as a year round job. Whereas before it was like, I'll train really hard for six weeks for the event and like diet crazy strict, make it awesome for that event. We do well in that event, but then like give myself two, three weeks where I'm still training hard, but like dieting off, like just enjoy yourself and do what you want. And, that is clearly not a winning formula. So you had to see um, you had to see it more so as a job as opposed to just an event by event basis. Yeah, a, li- a lifestyle instead of a diet. Yeah. Lifestyle, that's, that's yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. percent. And it was just recognizing that after a competition, you can still like relax a little bit, but like I'm still an athlete. I'm, if I'm training twelve or thirteen sessions a week, like I can't eat garbage because I will get injured regardless if I'm trying to lose weight or not. So yeah. the biggest part of that, which I didn't get to that point by myself. It was getting grilled by Nathan and getting grilled by mum and dad and <laughs> the national coach, Daniel, who was on that trip with me when I got injured. And everyone that just like ingro- like nailed it into me that I needed to do this for myself because there wasn't always going to be somebody there to stay on top of me because yeah. I'm an adult at that point. At that point, I'm like 20, 20 years old. So yeah. if I want to go... He's to- an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, fresh two years. But uh, at that point, it was just like, if I want this, I have to do it for myself because people aren't going to spoon feed you and, and tell you exactly what you should eat every time and say, oh, like maybe you should be serious again. It was just like, if you want to do it, like you just have to commit to it all the time. It's um, it's such a simple It's such a simple mindset, but it's not simple until you realize it yeah until you realize you're like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly expecting a different result it's like how do i just keep end up being a fat fucker (laughs) smash myself all the time but but it's it's cool and to even realize that at a young age is is um man i it's i'm 36 and i'm still learning that so um but you know you you're quite fortunate you have big brother you have mum and dad you have a, a great you know national coach you have a great team around you um i met you guys through 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 jess coglin um shout out to jess um when did strength and conditioning become a big part of of training for judo for you guys um, how, how did how did how did jess and, and rob and crossfit northwest come into come yeah, into so play it's actually um, quite a funny story yeah so at the end of last year, I was really just a bit run down and a bit over being away from home. And um, 2019 wasn't an amazing year for me. It was it was up and down. There were some really good results and there were some some flat spots. But I got to the end of the year and I was just really run down. Josh was injured. We'd been was- talking sort of for the last maybe month, six weeks before the last competition of the year that we're really looking forward to trying some new training over Christmas. Over that sort of, I guess short it's an off season but it's a very short off season that yeah. between the next competition like let's try some new types of training like let's go do some wrestling let's go do some crossfit we're googling some like crossfit gyms in the area and then in the second last competition i tore i ruptured my elbow so i had to have surgery straight after the competition and i was going to be out until minimum february so i was like completely in a brace not doing anything and the thought of just like doing all my normal conditioning on the roller on the track whatever it was just making me feel sick in Christmas. Like I was just, I was really burnt out mentally and just really run down. And I, uh, I sent an email to a couple of CrossFit gyms just saying like I was, I was keen to come and just do something different. And I went to one and it wasn't really for me. And I messaged, I just randomly messaged Northwest. I didn't know Jess or anyone there. And um, Bobby actually replied and Robin said, yeah, you're like you're welcome to come in one day. No worries. And I went in and um, I think one of the coaches Nolan, did you did you walk out or did he have to wheel you out? <laughs> no, he wasn't there that day. Him and Jess weren't there the first day, and one of the other coaches Nolan was there, and just straight away I got a really good vibe from the gym, and there were good people, and 
might have been like the second or third session. It was like one of the hit classes and Jess was there and I sort of rocked up and I didn't really tell him about judo or the Olympics or anything like that. I just, because I don't like, I'm not massive on talking about that. And I wanted it to be really separate. Just they didn't know judo. They didn't care. I just went there and like met cool people and, and got a bit of extra training in. And I obviously saw Jess and you can tell, I mean, she, she doesn't look like every other person that walks <laughs> no, into a, a she gym. definitely doesn't. Um, I mean, she's an abs- she's an, a freak athlete. She's an amazing athlete, and um, she's a master of her craft. You know, she puts in a lot of time and effort, Jess, and it it shows. Because I'll never forget. This. She looks like Superwoman. Oh, yeah, Give her like, a cape, please. Yeah, yeah. This session we yeah. did, I think it was like a four hundred meter run into like forty calories on the air bike and like thirty burpees over a box on the seven minutes for five or six rounds. Like it was horrendous, and I was like, oh yeah, like. In my head, I'm I'm racing with a girl. Like this will be all right. And she <laughs> murked me on this session. I and she I was says, "Hold my beer." <laughs> Literally, the only thing that like pushed me, like as in to finish the session, was just like I can't, like I can't be the one that gives up here. Like I just have to dig in. And uh, we started chatting and just getting along really well. And um, and I trained with her quite a bit over like the Christmas New uh, January period. And while I was doing my rehab by myself in the yeah. <laughs> just uh, trying to bicep curl uh, a resistance band. <laughs> and, uh, and then I guess COVID hit. I, w- I went overseas for a bit. COVID hit and um, we saw it, kept in touch. I was really interested in her training. She was really interested in, in what we were doing. And um, yeah, now me and Josh. I'd love to see Jess throw someone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're trying to get her down. Yeah. Trying to get her and Rob down. Um, so we do a session with them every Tuesday morning, which is which is tough. Tough for us because... It's very different to it's very different to judo and um, I mean they're it's a good environment they're so fit and so tough mentally and mm. it's as hard as that session is it's almost mentally a session off because different environment good people and it's just um, it's just a really good atmosphere yeah that's awesome it's um it's really cool and do you, do you feel the carryover with your mental toughness from obviously the from the judo training transitioning into into that but what's it now like you know six seven months or eight months now on having that training behind you do you feel like you have another gear and another level now going onto the mats are you excited to get onto the mats because yeah. you know you've you've got that engine you've got that grip strength you've got that that now that you've got that little edge with having that snc training training with people like rob and jess yeah i've had i mean i feel i think josh is in a similar spot i feel like the fittest and strongest i've been Ever and we're just itching to fight. And not um, a competition to be seen. Yeah, I know. So I'm hoping <laughs> we, I think because we had quite a lot of period where we knew we were going to be at home, we weren't going anywhere, and we had a little bit of time away from the high impact style of judo. So we were doing some technical training. We just brought like a, a crash mat that we could throw on back to our house at home, um, and we just set it up in the garage. So we we're doing like some technical training, but it wasn't super high low judo. Like we weren't getting smashed around everywhere like the hands were getting a break and everything that had just been niggling at you was getting a complete break so we just really tried to emphasize over that period where we were at home things that we hadn't been able to do which was just doing like long strength blocks and long conditioning blocks that you're always sort of doing like a taper and a deload and taper deload in between these competitions that you never really can do longer than like four weeks of hard training at a time before you've got a competition. Yeah. Then you've got to bring it down and, and start bringing your weight down and your energy drops. And it was just, I guess we started really enjoying the physical tr- part of training again because it had been something that we were missing for so long because judo is always the priority. And obviously judo should always be the priority, but it was just fun to try different types of training. Like yeah. we just set up some cardio equipment in the front yard on a Saturday and 
invite one or two mates over and just like smash ourselves for an hour and a half. And yeah. it was just really good, enjoyable to do it different. And then we started adding the session with Jess and Rob on a Tuesday and just the different environment and having them who obviously have the exact same mindset of like trying to absolutely beast yourself in every single yeah. session, which yeah. which was awesome to bounce off them as well. Um, yeah, it'd be awesome, I guess, from, um, from Jess's perspective because obviously – the CrossFit Games is the you know most prestigious thing you know for a CrossFit athlete and obviously the Olympic Games for you guys with judo. So you, you, she know like obviously there's a CrossFit Games every year, but like the sanctionals and everything you have to go through regionals, open you know it's 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 a very stressful qualifying period for the CrossFit Games. So I guess it would be nice for Jess having you guys there and vice versa, knowing that you you put it all on the line for you know those that window of opportunity to qualify to go up against the best in your sport um it's it's pretty cool and you know you've you've definitely ended up in a in a very very good environment to to share that with yeah 100 percent. i think we've got a really well balanced team now with judo mum and dad and daniel that that look after us um all our snc and physio with uh 4d health and performance and spectrum healthcare like they and then rob and jess obviously as well um we've got a really good team now so i think we just need some tournaments to happen so we can get in a fight but other than that, I think we're, we're in good shape. have to set a camera up at home and just start fighting someone at our local <laughs> Yeah, <of> <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, um, it's it's a it's a it's a nice spot, um, you know, definitely to be in. And I'm just I'm just super excited to obviously see you guys compete and 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 start getting this this show on the road uh, on the road. And I guess you know from now to you know obviously you know we the back end of of 2020 and. 2021 it's it's keeping that athlete mentality building that building building that skill set building that strength and conditioning and and time under fatigue with with all your specialist coaches um because i do see 2021 being a an awesome year for for team cats that's for definitely for sure and i'm just excited to be a part of it and and see it all happen um i guess um Moving forward um, from you know obviously the, the the position that we're that we're in now, um, what's the the one thing that you guys are really really looking forward to? Um, obviously, you know besides competing, is is there there's some things overseas, some people overseas that you guys are, are pretty keen to get back over and and keep like meet up with and spend some time with any places that you're missing? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean. Uh We've spent a lot of time in Israel. Like, we love it there. Um, and they look after us so well. Um, just, I guess, you form a real good relationship with the people that you fight. And it's weird. You wouldn't think that the boys that you're fighting for an Olympic spot, every time you get on the mat with them, realistically, it's you or them that's going to qualify. And yeah. a lot of them are some of my close mates, and I speak to them regularly. And um, I'm just looking forward to getting back into Is that, that. because there's a, there's a Jewish connection there? So they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just looking forward really, really to... Obviously, to fighting, but just getting back to normal life, I guess, traveling and um, missing home a little bit. Like, obviously, not being away for months, but yeah. missing home and, and just that hunger to... We've got that now, but getting to fulfill that once or twice and just being back in yeah. that environment where our day-to-day life is is all working towards next year. I think especially because we have now been training like quite hard for seven, eight months, and then I guess our only measuring stick is each other and the other guys that were training with the club. So the competition aspect, maybe without crowds or whatever the situation is at the moment, you don't get the same level of adrenaline potentially. But I guess just the chance to like, all right, everything we've done now, like let's let's have a crack. Like how 
how am I actually going compared to these other guys? Like, I want to know if all the stuff I've been doing, like, is it working? Like, am I... That's Josh's professional athlete answer. But re- <laughs> realistically, we're saying the, the hummus in Israel, yeah. the, the paella in Spain. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Josh didn't want to say that because we've just come off grilling him for being the tiramisu kid. He's mature with his weight now, but he's... Yeah. I have been actually getting pretty good green. at baking over the COVID period. So we put that to bed for the time. What's the specialty, Joshy? What are you cooking up? Uh, the carrot cake, cheesecake... Oof. We had to limit it to once a week. What and sort of frosting are we talking on these cream bad cheese, boys? Oh, yes, it's, dang, it's dangerous, honestly. Yes, I love a bit of cream cheese. <laughs> Train hard, eat hard. Now, um, obviously, uh, we talk about the club, so um, let's let's give it a shout out. Um, your your home club, mum yeah. and dad's club, Budokan Judo Club in Castle Hill, New South Wales. Um, yeah, mum and dad have run that for as long as we've been alive, and. Um, we both two- started judo there when we were four or five yeah, years so old. We, so. No, I was talking to your dad. He was saying that it's one of the largest not-for-profits, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the biggest not-for-profit in Australia. Wow. Um, I think it's third or fourth biggest club now in the country. And these wow. are, I mean, all the other clubs or a lot of the other... Sorry, all the bigger clubs are all businesses and that's their job. And mum and dad don't take a cent from our judo club. It's all just put back into the kids and to help some of the kids go to nationals and to travel that maybe couldn't afford it. Or, yeah. So it's uh, it's an amazing environment, our club. Yeah, you've got beautiful parents, boys. It's, yeah, uh, it's, you're very, very, very lucky and very, very fortunate. Um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll take a piece from both you. Um, to young aspiring combat sport athletes, um, Olympians, you know, j- judo players, young judo players who look up to you, uh, once, what's one piece of key advice from each each of you from your journey so far that you would you would give to a, a young aspiring you know a- athlete that wants to qualify for the Olympics? I think for me, it's just to work really hard. Um, not always when people are watching. It's easy to work when national coaches or selectors or whatever are watching you, but it's that work that you do at your own house or in the garage or in the basement somewhere where no one's watching that really counts when it gets tough. I'd say just to work really hard, to be nice, to be kind to yourself. I think it's really I want to headbutt a wall after listening to that. Yeah. Let's go. I think judo is just so tough and being away, I think that's something I've learned lately. Just like be a little bit nicer and a little bit easier on yourself. Like there's days when you're not at your best and that's okay. Like the whole it's okay not to be okay thing. So yeah. work hard, be nice to yourself and just believe because at the end of the day, no one can believe for you unless you really believe that that's for you. Yeah, it's awesome. I guess you, know, you definitely bang on there. Every day, every minute, every hour, your de- your best is going to differ, and you know external forces, etc. So, mate, hundred percent. That's a that's a cracker piece of advice, Joshy. Um, I think this is something that we've only really started reflecting on a little more recently. Is just enjoying the process. Like we've set really big goals, which is which is the most important thing. I think a lot of people limit themselves with setting a small goal to be the big fish in the little pond and. It is pretty scary to make a big goal and and to fail, knowing that you will fail a lot of times before you're going to get there. Um, But then just enjoying the process, like doing all the right things, but knowing that you're doing it for the right reason. And uh, if you can't enjoy in a little sick, twisted way, if you can't enjoy getting thrown around on the mat a few times every <laughs> every week, then uh, maybe then maybe it's not for you. But <laughs> on what Josh said, though, I just heard the other day a former world medalist, and he said, at the end of your career, not everyone has an Olympic medal or a world championship medal. And if you haven't had any fun or any good times along the way, that's pointless. Well, what was it for? Yeah. So that's 100% that's saying that. Yep, 100%. Uh, Nath, do you want to give a shout-out to Lifeline? Yeah, so Lifeline Australia, I'm one of the community custodians for them, and that's a role that I'm really proud of and um, really humbled to get to work with them. They're really good people sharing a really important message. So, um, yeah, everyone should really get on board and 
they they offer a free service, so it's really important. Cool. Well, boys, we're uh, we got to start getting ready to to get down to jujitsu. So we'll wrap this up. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, absolute pleasure. It's uh, it, you know it's nice to know you boys on a deeper level and know a bit more about your story. And um, yeah, I look forward to getting your mum and dad on here actually. So yeah, look out, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Too easy, boys. We get to the point. Thank you for listening, Legends. Make sure you like and subscribe on all your podcasting platforms and head over to Instagram and check us out at to the point underscore podcast. To the point. To the point.